Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he came into this world, lived amongst us, and that we have recorded in the pages of your word much of what he said and did. We don't have it all, but we have enough to know him and to know you. So, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word this morning. Lord, we pray that as we marvel at your Son, Jesus Christ, we may be changed and transformed to be more like him. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, what is your primary food? What is your primary food? When you think of food, what do you think of immediately? My wife, Jill, she occasionally asks questions of our children. She gets these off the internet and she gets them and she asks them these questions to see what they will say at different stages in their life. It's very interesting to ask them common questions and see what their response is. And she was asking my daughter, Philippa, uh, last year when she was four years of age, these questions. And one of the questions is, what is mummy's favourite food? What is mummy's favourite food? And she thought about it. And she said, cereal. And Jill said, cereal? She said, yes, cereal is your favourite food. Jill said, why do you think cereal is my favourite food? She says, because you eat it every day. So it must be your favourite food. What is your favourite food? What do you think of as your primary food? Well, this morning we're going to be looking at Christ's primary food and then how we can apply what is his primary food to our own lives as we look at John chapter 4 together. We've been working through it together, studying it alongside one another, and this morning we've come to verses 31 through to verse 34, which is the subject of our discussion this morning, and we'll be looking at Christ's primary food. And the first thing we notice from this text is that Christ's primary food is not physical food. That's my first main point this morning. Christ's primary food is not physical. If you want to follow my main points, they're listed there in the church bulletin. And the first is that Christ's primary food is not physical. And this is clearly shown by the contrast between Christ and the disciples. As they consider food, the subject of food, and as Christ considers the subject of food, there's a stark contrast that happens between them. What do we see in verse 31? His disciples come back after Jesus has been speaking with the Samaritan woman at the well on his own and the disciples have been in a town to get some food. They come back and they say to him in verse 31, uh, Rabbi, eat something. And they're urging him. It's sort of this continuous idea that's happening there in 31 that they're continuing to say to him, eat something, eat something, eat something. Why would they be so focused on physical food at this point? Well, Jesus has had a long journey to get here. Uh, it's quite the distance that he's travelled. Uh, we've seen in John chapter 4 verse 3 that he was in Judea, but then he left to go to Samaria. In verse 4 we read of John chapter 4, now he had to go through Samaria and he's come to a town in Samaria called Sychar in verse 5 or Sychar. He's come to this town, and when we, I preached on this, I said that's basically like walking from here to Newcastle, which is quite the trip. And whenever you take a walk of that nature, you feel a bit hungry after it. Not that I've ever done it to, to be able to say that, but I've done enough walking in my time to know that after a significant amount of physical exertion, I am hungry 
And so the disciples are assuming here that he is, he's wanting some physical food. And he's been sitting there in the heat of the day. Uh, we know that this is the sixth hour. By verse 6 it says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That means midday. He's there midday, and generally speaking, most people's tummy starts to rumble in the middle of the day, particularly if you're out in the heat. Uh, that's exhausting in itself. And so it's reasonable for these disciples to then start saying, well, we need to eat something. But Jesus says he has food that they know nothing about. Verse 32, we read, But he, that's Jesus, said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. He mentions a different sort of food. The disciples are focused on this food, and you might think reasonably so, given the situation that Jesus has been through. But Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. What is this food to eat? Well, for the disciples, we see again that their primary type of food is the physical food that they're aware of. What do they say in verse 33? They hear this from Jesus, and then they said to each other, not to Jesus, they sort of whisper, the disciples like to do this, you see it again and again in the New Testament, they sort of confer with each other. They said to each other, could someone have brought him food? What, are they, what sort of food are they thinking of? Physical food. They're thinking... Jesus is talking about food. He's got food to eat that we know nothing about. It sounds like he's got some sort of stash that someone's brought him, and he's keeping it out of sight, kind of like we keep the lollies out of sight of our kids at home. We've got another type of food that they know nothing about. Is that what Jesus is saying? They're focused on physical food, whereas Jesus' food is something different. And this whole experience of the disciples is reminiscent of what's just come with the Samaritan woman almost, isn't it? What was the discussion that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman? It was about water. What does he say to her? He asked her for a drink. And then in verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus starts to talk to her about water. What is her mindset when she hears water? Verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? And then as we've unpacked this passage, we've seen together what he means by water. But she's got this focus on physical water, whereas Jesus has a focus on spiritual water. And here again we see that food is mentioned. And what is the natural response of Jesus' disciples? They think He must mean physical food because that's what we mean by food. That's what's all important in our lives, particularly after we've had a long journey and we're sitting in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day. So the disciples' primary food is physical food. That's all they can think about. Jesus talks about another food and they still are going on about the physical food. So what is Christ's food? What is Christ's primary food? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. Christ's primary food is to do the will of God. Christ's primary food is to do the will of God. And we see that in verse 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Now, who is the one who sent Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us again and again, particularly in John's Gospel, that it is the Father, it is God who has sent him. John 8, 16 says, I stand with the Father who sent me. I stand with the Father who sent me. 
So Jesus is someone who does the Father's will and sees the Father's will as his food, which means he stands in stark contrast to the rest of the human race. He sees his job in life, his food, what he lives for, as the will of the Father. And we see that he says this in other places in John's Gospel as well. John 6.38 For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. That's my job in this world, to do the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus always did the Father's will. That is what he lived for. That is what we're supposed to live for. How do I know that? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 8 tells us that, that passage that we just looked at. Flip with me back there. It was read aloud for us already this morning. Page 180 of the Black Church Bibles, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, reading from verse 1, page 180 of the Black Bibles. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What are we supposed to live on? Every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We're meant to live on his commands, live on his will. But sadly, the human race doesn't do that. We see it again and again in our lives and in the lives of those around us and the pages of the New New Testament and the Old Testament. I mentioned before that we've been studying judges at our Sunday afternoon Bible studies at 4.30. And these... The book of Judges is about the people who lead Israel. But it's been a hard slog for us to study the book of Judges together at 4.30pm on Sunday afternoons. Why? Because it's depressing reading. These are the leaders of Israel and they're not doing the will of God. Yes, they sometimes do, but so often they fail. And by the end of it, you've got someone like Samson who's just following other desires most of the time rather than what God desires. It's depressing reading. And so Jesus, as someone who actually lives on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, someone who follows his commands, who does his will, stands then in stark contrast to the rest of the human race. For Jesus, his primary food was to do the will of God. That is his food. Is there anything else that is his food? Well, John 4 mentions something else. It's not just to do the will of the Father. Something that ties in with that. And that brings me to my third main point this morning. Christ's primary food is to finish the work of God. Is to finish the work of God. And we see that in verse 34 of John 4. Back with me on page 1053, verse 34 reads, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And to finish 
his work. Often, we can start a job and then somebody else completes it. Or we can complete the work that somebody else has done. I do this in my own home. I give my children tasks, I show them how it's done, and then I go away and leave them to do it. Sometimes it requires a fair level of trust on my part to walk out of the room and so that they will complete it. And I do this even in the backyard with my son. We both have a vacuum, for out, outdoor vacuum for leaves. I've got one that's on wheels for him, and he's, I, I show him how to do it. I start him off and I say, all those leaves over there, go for it. And then I leave him to it while I go off to vacuum another part of the pavement. He completes the job that his father has started. His father starts off, and then he, my son, Joshua, completes it. And that's what Jesus does as well. That is his food. The father begins the work by sending the son into the world, and then Jesus finishes the work. John 17, verse 4, Jesus prays to God the Father in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. And in verse 4, he says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. By completing the work you gave me to do. Same word, same Greek word that's translated finished back in John chapter 4, verse 34. Here in John 17, we see that Jesus recognizes that he is completing the work of the Father. And what is that work that Jesus completed? What is the will of the Father for Jesus while he is in this earth, on this earth? Well, it's to save sinners. To save sinners. In John 6, verse 39, Jesus says, And this is the will of him who sent me. What is the will of him who sent me? What is Jesus' bread? That I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. What is his will for the son? What is the father's will? That Jesus would lose none of all those that have been given to him, but he would raise them up at the last day. The father's will for the son is that he would bring salvation to sinners, that he would raise them up at the last day with eternal bodies that live in glory with him in heaven. That is the father's will, and Jesus completes that task. He makes sure that it is finished. How does he do that? He does one act that is marvellous, that completes things, that ends the battle between sinners and God. What is that? Well, it's at the cross. What does Jesus say on the cross? He says a number of things. What is one thing that he says on the cross that is relevant for us today? John chapter 19, verse 28 says, Later knowing that all was now completed, finished, and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, completed, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. Same Greek word, finished, that is here in John 4, 34. Jesus' food was to finish the work of his father. The father sent the son into the world. The son finished that work. He sent the son to save sinners, and the son finishes that work of saving sinners at the cross. Why does he say it is finished at the cross? 
not because people are raised and kept to the last day, as is the will of the Father, but because that is the moment where sin has been paid for and everything else is just an unravelling of what has already been done at the cross. The war is won when Jesus says it is finished. There may be battles still going on. We're in a spiritual warfare still today. But the war is won. It is finished. Sin has been paid for. We all deserve to be punished for our sins. But Jesus has taken that penalty for us. At the cross, he experienced the wrath that we deserve. And he paid it all. It's not as though there's more wrath still to come. No, it is finished. It is completed. It is fulfilled. The work that God gave Jesus was completed that day at the cross. And it wasn't easy for Jesus to do the will of of God the Father to go to the cross and to redeem us. What do we see at the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus goes to the cross? In Luke chapter 22, verse 41, we read, He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, beyond his disciples, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Was it easy for Jesus to live on this bread, to live on this food, to do the will of God and finish the work of God? It wasn't easy. It was hard work for him. But he did it. He completed it. He finished it. There at the Garden of Gethsemane, not finished yet. At the cross, it is finished, was his cry. Which means that if you put your trust in Jesus Christ today, it is finished. The wrath of God has been paid for by Jesus. If you're not a Christian, you're here this morning, I encourage you to do that today. Don't live under the wrath of God any longer. Trust in Jesus Christ now. And have Jesus complete that work for you. Paying the wrath of God in your place. It's marvellous truth that comes through here in John chapter 4, verse 34, that Jesus does the will of God and completes the work of God because it is his food. He does this because it energises him. Why does he call it food? Because it gives him strength. To do God's will gives him strength. Just like when we eat food, it gives us strength to continue the task. Doing God's will gives him strength. And here we see that he is focused on this food. The disciples have come back. They're focused on physical food. What is Jesus focused on? Saving people. What does that mean? That means that Samaritan woman over there that he's been speaking to is the will of his father at this point in time. As he addresses her, he shares the gospel with her that he is the Christ and he's in the process of saving her. And they're wanting to talk about physical food. And now this group of people we see in verse, uh, verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And then the disciples want to talk about physical food. He sees these people coming out 
and he says, this is my food. I don't care about physical food in comparison to sharing the good news with these people because that means salvation for them and that is the will of my Father for me is to bring about the salvation of sinners. So that is Jesus. What is his food? It's to do the will of God and complete the work, finish the work of God. What does that mean for you? Well, in the scriptures, we know we have to be like Christ. We're meant to follow his example. And although the human race is terrible at doing the will of God and living on every word that comes from the mouth of the Father, we should have that as our primary food. And so that brings me to my fourth main point this morning. Our primary food should be to do the will of God. Our primary food should be to do the will of God. We shouldn't be like the disciples and the Samaritan woman who think physical bread and physical water is all you need. That is not your primary food. That's the thinking of pagans. How can I sustain myself in this world? Because this world is it. After this, it's all over. So I have to run about having food as my primary objective in life. Food and water. If I have those two things, I'm okay. That's not what we're supposed to be about. John 6, 27. Jesus says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Our food is to do the will of God. Now, what is the will of God for you? What should be your food? Well, firstly, you need to believe in God. John's Gospel, in verse 28, it says, Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. What is the work of God? What is the work that God requires? Jesus answers, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. What's the first thing you're meant to do if you're going to do the will of God, if you're going to have God's will as your food? Believe in God. Have faith in God. Trust in him. And trust in his son, that his son died in your place. If you don't believe in God, you're not going to do anything else for him, are you? It starts with faith. If you don't trust someone, you're not going to do anything for them. You need to trust them. And that's what you need to do. If you're going to do the will of God, trust that Jesus has paid for your sins. And then once you have done that, keep God's other commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbour as yourself. And that includes loving others by witnessing to them, by encouraging them to seek Christ. And that's what, of course, John chapter 4 and the verses that follow this are going to start talking about. It's going to start talking about witnessing to others because that's what Jesus is doing. He's doing the will of the Father, which is saving people, and that's what we need to do as well. We need to start looking around like these disciples should be and not looking at physical food but looking at how can I save others. Our food is meant to be believing in God and then as a result of our faith in him to follow his commands. What else should be your food if you're to follow the example of Christ? Well, our primary food should be to finish the work of God, to finish the work of God. God has started a wonderful thing in you if you're a believer in Christ. You're meant to continue doing the work that he has started in you. You need to finish it. It's kind of your life is like a tapestry or a colour-by-numbers picture. 
our children have this kind of thing where they have colouring in sheets and rather than you having the freedom to colour wherever you like, there's little numbers that are matched up with colours and you're meant to colour those in. There may even be some for adults these days. There seems to be this craze at the moment for adults to be into colouring. You can get colouring in books uh, for adults and they sit down with their colouring in pencils and colouring in books. It's not my kind of hobby but I, it's evidently taking off in the States and here in Australia. But that's how your life is. God has mapped it out says, this is what I want you to do, and then you're meant to do it. You're meant to finish the work. You're meant to complete that work. Good intentions are not good enough. You need to take action and finish the work of God. There's that famous parable in Matthew chapter 21. Turn with me there, page 978. This famous parable that illustrates this concept. Page 978, Matthew chapter 21, and I'll read from verse 28, where Jesus says, Matthew chapter 21, verse 28, page 978, verse 28 reads, What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after this, you saw this, you did not repent. And believe him. We're all sinners. We've all not done the will of God. But if we decide to live on his word, that that is our food, and we're going to do his will from now on, then we must do it. We must finish the work. We must continue. It's not good enough to be the son that says, I will, but then doesn't do it. Tax collectors, prostitutes, held up as examples there in Matthew 21 as people who have not done the will of the Father. But what are they doing? They're entering the kingdom of heaven. Why are they entering the kingdom of heaven? Because they're repenting, because they're believing in Jesus and they're doing the will of the Father now. We need to follow the example of Jesus, do the Father's will, and finish the work of God. We want to be like Paul, who says in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. You want to have the will of God as your food, then you need to continue doing his will and finish doing his will. Finish your life as one who has finished the race, who has completed the task of God. Now, why bother? Why bother having the will of God as your food? Why not focus on physical food as the pagans do? Well, the physical food only gives life for a short time, whereas the 
food that is the will of God gives eternal life. What does Jesus say? That verse I quoted before, John 6, verse 27, do not work for food that spoils. It's decaying itself, and you're decaying. When you eat that food, it just gives you a bit of energy for a short period of time. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. It gives eternal life. If you get stripped away from all food, all water, yet still do the will of God, you will live forever. You may not live for very long here on earth, but you will live forever because the will of God has been your food. And if the will of God is your food, it energises you to do his will here on earth. Food, physical food, is delightful and refreshing. And I encourage you, have lunch today and have dinner too. It is a good thing. Jesus is not as though Jesus never ate. He did eat physical food. But the thing that should give us primary joy in this world is to do the will of God. It can be delightful and refreshing to do the will of God. It can be hard work as we see Jesus found in the Garden of Gethsemane. It can be hard to do what God wants you to do. But other times, as you're doing the will of God, there's a joy and refreshment that comes as when you might drink your favourite cup of coffee. But even better, when you witness to someone and you see them come to Jesus Christ... There's a joy and a refreshment that no physical food can give you. When you counsel someone about the will of God, because you're told to do so, that's what God's will is for you, to to share the good news with those around you. When you counsel someone and you see a Christian brought back to the right path because of the words that you spoke, it's refreshing. It's encouraging. It gives you Life to continue doing God's will. I was saying to another pastor that this job of being a pastor is the greatest job in the world. It comes with its shares and sorrows. But there's such refreshment to be able to have an impact on the lives of those around us as we do the will of God. I've got this quote from Spurgeon about the need for us to do the will of God and the energy that comes from it. Spurgeon's one of my favourite preachers, and I I rarely quote anyone in the pulpit, but I make an exception for Spurgeon this morning, where he says, in relation to this text, one of his sermons, he says, Some of you good people who do nothing except, except go to public meetings, the Bible readings, and prophetic conferences, and other forms of spiritual dissipation, would be a good deal better Christians if you would look after the poor and needy around you. If you would just tuck up your sleeves for work and go and tell the gospel to dying men. You would find your spiritual health mightily restored. For very much of the sickness of Christians comes through their having nothing to do. All feeding and no working makes men spiritual dyspeptics. Dyspeptics being... uh, and it's the whole idea of having an upset stomach and you're sort of angry, um, unhappy because of your stomach. Your spiritual dyspeptics. He says, be idle, careless, with nothing to live for, nothing to care for, no sinner to pray for, no backslider to lead back to the cross, no trembler to encourage, no little child to tell of a saviour, no grey-headed men to enlighten in the things of God, no object, in fact, to live for, 
And who wonders if you begin to groan and to murmur and to look within until you are ready to die of despair? If you don't do the will of God, it's not surprising that you get all down in the dumps. Just as if you don't eat, you get down in the dumps and get a little bit angry and a little bit upset about things. If you miss lunch and then miss dinner, you see it coming out. If you don't live on God's word, if you don't do his will, if you don't finish his work, then it's not surprising you don't feel very happy about your life. If we live on God's word, if that is our primary food, we have purpose, we have drive, we have something to do. And that energizes us and makes us happy as physical food cannot. What is your primary food? May it be to do the will of God and to finish his work. Let's speak to him now. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for every good gift that you give us. We thank you that you give us this day our daily bread, that you're concerned about our physical bodies and you meet our needs. But Lord, we pray that above all of this world, all the good gifts that you give us, may our food be to do your will and to complete the work that you have set for us. May we be like your son, Jesus Christ, it is so marvellous that he was willing to do your will at all times. And he finished the work. How could we not follow such a leader? He stands in stark contrast to all the leaders that have come before. And so, Lord, may we rally to him and follow his example. And may we live on your food, food that endures to eternal life. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.